Welcome to the FX Church Podcast. This is week 12 and our final message in our summer series in the book of Joshua titled Inheritance. Uh, Believers in Jesus, and Jesus' name means Joshua, which means Yahweh who saves, today find ourselves waiting very similarly to God's people and how they had been unsure of their future and the promises um, that didn't seem to be coming. Uh, God's people had been waiting 600 years for the promised inheritance to Abraham. They'd lived 400 years in slavery. They'd wandered 40 years in a desert. And this was a people group clinging to a promised inheritance that most of them would never see in their lifetime, all while being told that they needed to stay strong and courageous. Would we still believe and lead others to believe in Yahweh who saves Jesus, Joshua, and his and God's promised inheritance? I think it'd be hard for us. I think we see that problem today and people wondering, where is God in the midst of all of this? Well, God's a lot more patient than we are, and He has promised an inheritance, and we've learned that over the last several weeks, what that looks like. And the reminder in Joshua 1.6 still rings true for us today that it says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. We're as believers in the, the God of Scripture and His Son Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to believe the fact that, that God will someday come back and distribute what He has promised, just like He did before. And we're in the already but not yet. We already have the promise, <clears throat> but we haven't yet received it. Just like an inheritance works, that you've already have the signed document that says you will inherit what you'll get, but not yet. And we live in the in the similar moment. This week, what we want to work at as we look at as we finish the book is, will we worship? Title of our message, will we worship? You see, we're going to worship something. And oftentimes we can get deceived into thinking that we're worshiping God, but in reality, we're asking Him to worship us. And so the question for us is, will we worship? And if you don't think that you ask God to worship you, I said this last week, then how much of your prayer life is really just spent worshiping God, worshiping Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just in gratitude, thanking Him? And how much of your prayer life is focused on God meeting your demands, putting you in the place of God? How much of your reading of the Bible is worship and how much of it is you wanting God to make him like you so that you can be a God? How much is it just practical stuff we want God to do for us versus we just want him to know how valuable he is to us in worship? See, we've twisted things up so badly and and God's people had done the same thing and yet he still continued to be faithful. And so if you feel like this morning that, or listening to this podcast that if you're wondering about your worship and, and how you worship and am I worthy and will God love me? Or maybe you're just prideful and saying, I don't worship anybody but myself. Can I just challenge you to pause and listen to what these words are that we read this morning? Let's dive into our passage in Joshua 24, verse 13. Joshua is reminding them, remember, they have gone into the promised land, the land promised to Abraham. They 
have fought for the land. God has fought for them. They're now divided up the land, and Joshua is coming to the end of his life, and these are his final words to the people that he has been leading and that he's been waiting for his lifetime to, to see God do what only God can do. And in verse 13, he reminds them that God said, I gave you a land you did not labor for and cities you did not build. Though you live in them, you are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. Yahweh chose you, and now he's asking them, will you choose me? And then he says, the gods of your fathers, your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates rivers, river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, Joshua says, we will worship Yahweh. See, Joshua throws down the charge and he says, you're going to worship something and you need to make a clear decision of faith of what you're truly going to place your hope and sincerity and your truth in. That you're not going to go find sincerity from good stories and from emotional experiences. You're not going to go find your truth on what works for you. You've got to decide the thing you worship is where you're going to find sincerity and truth. And in our culture, we need to hear that today because we worship so many things based on what we would say is sincerity and truth. So it must be true because they sincerely believe it. There have been very wicked people who have sincerely believed and given their lives to their wicked deeds. Does that mean that their worship was right, that that we should worship them? No, because their version of the truth isn't real truth. And we can subtly do the same thing. And Joshua knows that the people of God have done this in their past. And he's calling them and saying, look, you didn't do any of this. We as humans have been designed to worship and you need to make a choice. Humans are the only one creatures that, that struggle with purpose. We're the only ones that have a written language that we desire to be remembered. You know, the definition of worship is to show reverence and adoration for something, to honor that something with rites and rituals. In other words, to order your life based on that thing that you have reverence and adoration for. Let me ask you, do you you have reverence and adoration like Joshua is telling the people here towards God? Or do you have reverence and adoration towards all kinds of other things in your life? How do you order your life? Do you order your life according to to God and his truths, or do you order your life making sure that you show reverence to things that God doesn't ask you to show reverence to? You see, this is very applicable to us today in the land that we live in. He goes on in verse 16, it says, the people replied, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. And there's an exclamation mark in this passage that this is an imperative and emphatic. The people are passionate. They seem so sincere. In verse 17, they say, for the Lord our God brought us 
and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. Man, what a statement. They say, man, we recognize that God has delivered us out of the place of slavery, but did he really have your heart or are you just happy that you escaped your circumstances? You see, they're talking about a lot of circumstantial things here, but does God really have their heart? That's what Joshua's going to kind of point to here in a moment. He's like, that's great. He delivered you out of a place. In other words, God's fulfilling the promises that he made, but but what's our response to that? It looks like here that the people are like, oh, we won't abandon God. We, <clears throat> we won't worship other gods. We, we, we're, we will too will worship the Lord because he is our God. There, there is no other. You see, we love to make these big plock proclamations and promises to make these big scenes to say things emphatically and and everything else and even things like I was just a personal pet peeve when parents say I'll always be there for you because I'm your dad or you're my daughter that's a lie you cannot always be there for your children It's not possible. You can only be in one place at one time. And if your child gets hurt and you are in another state, you can't be there for them. God forbid you promise them that you'll always be there for them and then something terrible happens and you die and you're not there for them anymore. You see, that's kind of what this is. These people are crying out and they're saying, oh, we recognize and oh, we're so committed. Look at what Joshua says. See, today when people pray a prayer like this or people surrender to Jesus, they say, oh, I believe and and they, oh, I want to be baptized. Oh, I'm so excited. Most of us are like, wow, isn't this great? And we celebrate it. But look at what Joshua does. Verse 19, but Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship Yahweh because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not remove your transgressions and sins If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. You see, Joshua reminds them, you can't fully worship God until you're made holy. And we're not holy, so we've got a problem. You see, we don't like to talk much of a a holy and jealous God in our culture today. a holy, perfect, righteous, jealous lover. It even says he will not remove. You see, sin is not removed. God doesn't just remove sin. Sin has to be paid for. There has to be a payment for the sin, for us to be able to worship. That's the old sacrificial system that, that they were practicing at this time was there had to be a payment for sin. He just doesn't go, oh, that's no big deal. No, there's a payment. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. He will not remove it, just no big deal. And we have to keep coming to him when our tendency is to run to idols and go to something else because we start believing the lie that God isn't good to us, even though it says here 
after he's been good to us. See, God tries to be good to us to get our attention, and we don't listen. And so he has to do other things to get our attention. And we see this continually in our culture. Someone will trust Jesus. They'll make a decision for God. They'll make a proclamation. And then we wonder three months, a year later, where are they? What happened to them? You know, people will make proclamations, but then they struggle with with doubt and inconsistency. You see, the enemy's tactics are all over the place. We have an enemy, the devil, the Bible says, who fell from heaven. He chose to reject God. He would not worship God, but he wanted to be worshiped, and God cast him out. Someday Jesus is going to come back and overthrow him and put him in the lake of fire, the Bible says. But right now, there's a battle, there's a war, and we talked about that last week. But do you believe that that God has been good to you? You see, God gave his best. The best good God ever gave was his son, Jesus. Why do we feel like God is so against us when he has given us so much that we don't deserve? We don't even deserve to be alive. He has protected us from extinction. And he is against the things. God is against the things of this world that cause us to not worship him, our flesh, our desires. And as long as we cling to this world, we won't feel as though he's with us. We won't feel like our transgressions could ever be removed. We won't know how to approach a holy God. We, if, if we don't allow ourselves to surrender to him and we cling to the things of this world. You see, he promises to never leave or forsake us. And he promises to discipline and even destroy someday, but with hope. He wants us to see that he is holy and just and that he is good. Do you worship this God that Joshua portrays or a God of your own fashioning and choosing? You will worship. The question is which one? He goes on to say in verse 21, look at the response of the people. Joshua confronts the people and they immediately say, no. The people answered Joshua, we will worship the Lord. They make this firm, like, no, we we are going to worship the Lord. And you know what? They do for a while. But as we'll see in a minute, their descendants begin to drift away, begin to forget God, and their no becomes a well, kind of. You see, you have to be careful with a statement like this because what can subtly happen is pride can come in. And that pride can cause us to to make it look like we're standing for God, but in reality, we're standing against God. We see this in the New Testament with Peter's denial being predicted. Peter makes a similar statement like God's people do, and he makes the statement to Joshua, Jesus, Yahweh who saves, who is speaking to him. And this Peter's denial is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's such an important story that it appears in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Luke 22, the one I'm going to read, it says this in verse 29. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 
tribes of Israel. This is like Joshua saying, look at all God's done. He has bestowed on you this land. He's given all of this to you so that you may enjoy its fruit, Joshua says. And Jesus says the same thing here, so that you may enjoy the fruit. And then Jesus looks at Simon, just like Joshua looked at the people. And he says, Simon, Simon, that's Simon Peter, look out. Look out. Be careful. I have to give you a warning. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. If you remember the story of Job, Satan came to God to ask if he could test and tempt Job, that Job would deny God if Satan made Job's circumstances of his life go bad. If Satan said, if Job doesn't have good things happen to him, he'll curse you, God. And Job wouldn't curse God. Even his own wife said, curse God and die so I can get out of this. And Job wouldn't do it. And so Peter here, Jesus warns Peter, just like Joshua warns. And he says, look, Satan has asked it to sift you like wheat. He is coming for you. <clears throat> then Jesus says in verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Look at this next part. This is critical. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Wait, so, so you've prayed for me that my faith will not fail, but then I'm going to fail and turn back. I'm going to repent to strengthen others. Doesn't that seem so confusing? Jesus says he prays that his faith will not fail, Jesus knows there's, he's warning him here saying there's going to be a temporary failing. We're going to see it in a moment, but also know that you can come back. You can repent. And the sign of repentance is how you're going to treat your brethren, the, the people that also need to know me. Verse 33, Lord, Peter told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Again, a big statement. I tell you, Peter, Jesus said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. Peter makes this emphatic statement to say, I'll die for you. Oh, we'll never abandon the Lord like the people said. And, and Jesus in his love says, Peter, I tell you, you will. And we know the story. Peter denies Jesus the night of his betrayal, denies Jesus three times. And on the third time, the rooster crows and Peter weeps. But then we also have the story of Jesus catching some fish while they're out fishing because they went back to fishing, not knowing what to do with their lives now that Jesus has been crucified, but he's come back to life. And it's kind of this weird in-between time like we're in right now of what's normal and we don't know. So they're out fishing, doing what they're used to doing. And Jesus is on the shore cooking fish. And when Peter sees him, he jumps out of the boat. He comes to the Lord and Jesus asks him three times. He says, do you love me, Peter? And all three times, Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep, then tend my lambs, then feed my sheep. He tells him, then strengthen those that are your brothers, strengthen the flock, you see, that's a critical thing that we can see that when we, under, when we are truly worshiping God, it motivates us to go out to others to let them know how great our God is and encourage them to worship with us. That, that's what Joshua was doing in this passage. It's what 
Jesus did. It's what Jesus is telling Peter and warning him. And so for those of us who have denied God, those of us who have maybe done what Peter's done or what we're going to see God's people have done, just know, and we'll see a passage in a minute that'll very much encourage you, that God isn't about meeting our expectations. He will always meet his expectations. And when Peter said, no, Jesus, that's not the expectation I have for you. Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand. I have to destroy your expectations of me being an earthly Messiah that's going to bring an army and you're going to be with the army and you're going to overthrow, which is what it looks like. He's going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He thinks, yeah, we're going to overthrow the Romans and I, Peter, I'm going to sit on a throne. And then Jesus says, I'm going to have to die and you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not my expectation. That's not what I believe. That's not what I've been taught. And Jesus is like, read the scriptures. You know that Messiah must first suffer and die, Jesus says in a later passage. And he says, look, the rooster will not crow today till you deny that you even know me. That can happen to us, but there's an encouragement. In verse 24, 22, Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship Yahweh. We are witnesses, they said. So now Joshua tells the people, you're witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen. In other words, nobody's forcing you. Nobody's making you. You you are choosing this. You're choosing to invite God into your life. And by choosing to invite him in, you invite the responsibility that comes with that decision. And it's a perfect decision. God is good. He is righteous. It's the right decision. He is worthy to be worshiped. No one, nothing else is worthy of worship. And they answer, we are our own witnesses. We know the decision we made. And then in verse 23, look what Joshua does again. He doesn't say, well, good, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad you understand this. I'm done talking. I don't want to bring anything. I just want you to be, I just want you to be happy about the new feeling you have of knowing God and being committed to him. Look at what Joshua says. Verse 23, he says, really, you're witnesses? Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and offer your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. He doesn't say offer your works. He doesn't say worship him with all the religious ritual. He says, offer your hearts, because if God gets your heart, then he'll get your time, your talent, your treasure, and he'll get your testimonies, your stories that you tell. But if God doesn't have your heart, then what you're doing is you're playing an idolatrous game where you give your heart to God sometimes and and not at other times. And Joshua says, then get rid of the idols and just give him your full heart. Trust him. He is the God. He is the Lord of all lords, that there is no one like him. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. We, we want to worship Him, and our worship will show up in how we live our lives, not in attending a service, not in how loud we sing, how many Christian songs we know, not in how much I read my Bible, but it is going to show up in the way that we strengthen other people, in the way that we tell them about the truths of God, the holiness of God, the grace of God, the justice of God, the goodness of God. It's, that's how it's going to show up, and we'll obey what He asks, even when everyone around us doesn't. See, we are witnesses. 
And we've got to get rid and we don't offer our works, we offer our hearts to God. You see, that's grace. Grace is God saying, you're going to keep making these mistakes and Joshua reminding them, you're going to turn your back, but, but God will still extend his unmerited favors. And we are to obey from a heart of love and of worship of the God of the universe. Joshua 24, he goes on to say, On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute and an ordinance a statute and an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, You see this stone. It will be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. <clears throat> so Joshua takes a rock, a rock that's going to be there until the end of time, and he sets this rock. It, Jesus is called the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the stone that people will stumble upon. And it's a reference kind of back to this, where Joshua sets this stone. He says, this will be the stone. It will be the reminder that when you look at this and then compare it to your life and know the word and the law, how do you measure up? Are you worshiping God? Or have you gone down a road of giving your heart to worship things that just don't matter? He goes on in verse 29, it says, After these things, the Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the allotted territory at Timnasareth in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel worshipped Yahweh throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced all the works Yahweh had done for Israel. So it looks good. It looks like, wow, they are obeying. They are worshiping. They are doing the right thing. Like, like Israel worshipped throughout Joshua's lifetime and through the lifetime of the elders. And man, they experienced all these works that he did. Oh, I mean, this is a high time. Look at all of what God's doing. But here's what happens. When we have these moments where everything's going well, we typically stop worshiping. We stop crying out to God and we start to think that we did this. Our works did this. Our ability made God respond to us. We're so awesome that, that God will do anything for us that we want. And God thinks you're so awesome. You can ask anything. And we begin to get this pride. And when that happens, we begin to go down a road that's a dark, dark place. That's what happens in verse 32. We'll see in a minute. We get past Joshua in verse 32. It says, Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the parcel of the land Jacob had purchased from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 uh, kesetoths. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants, and Eleazar, son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibbeth, which had been given to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. All of these things were promises that God is fulfilling, that Joseph worshiped me, and I'm fulfilling my promise years and years and years and years later to Joseph. They've been carrying around his bones so they could fulfill the promised inheritance that Joseph was given. He's fulfilling Jacob's inheritance when he bought this land, this burial land where they would bury him. All of this is a part of God saying, I'm worthy to be worshiped because 
I keep my word and I will give the inheritance to those who know me and love me. Judges 2, which is the next book after Joshua, we see the same story about Joshua again. And Judges 2.8, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnah, Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was gathered to their ancestors. After them, look at this, verse 10 of Judges 2. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. How? How did they not know? There's memorials all around. The story should have been told. How did they not know? Well, obviously they weren't taught. It wasn't modeled. They got comfortable with how well things were going and thinking, well, yeah, you just live life and everything works out fine. You just do the right, pretty much the best you can. And in the end, it all works out. They weren't modeled what it looked like. And as a result, they begin to drift away and forget God's works, forget who he was and all he had done. That's what we do today. We don't teach people the witness of God's book. We're so consumed with our worship, like our emotional worship, that we don't worship anymore. We don't worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in like emotion and fun. And it's not wrong to to have joy and smile and to sing out. But if we're really honest, Do we really want true worship? Because the Bible says that our spiritual act of worship will be to lay down our lives. Judges 2, it goes on to say, verse 11, The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They infuriated the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Atherah. Asherus. This is exactly a couple, just a couple of chapters before uh, in, in Joshua, Joshua said would happen. He said, this is what's going to happen. Oh, no, 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 we won't abandon. We're going to be faithful. And they were for a while. But then another generation came along and said, you know, I don't know if that generation was really smart. I, I don't know if they really worshiped. I think we have a new way we can do it. I well, did you check with God? I mean, it's okay to confess the sins of your fathers in your previous generation, but or do you just want what you want? Because it's easy to get deceived into creating a worship that we want for ourselves instead of worshiping God as He's asked to be worshiped. And it says it infuriated the Lord. So what does an infuriated Lord do? Well, when we read the Gospels, an infuriated Jesus enters Jerusalem at the end of His life being worshipped. They're laying down palm branches, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're they're claiming him Messiah. He's riding in on a donkey, which was a prophecy from the Old Testament, and the people are laying their coats out, and he's coming in, and they're like, our king is here. He's going to deliver us. There's all this expectation, and an infuriated, it's like, oh, finally, the Messiah is so infuriated. He's going to come and overthrow the Romans, and he's going to make things right. Then he goes into the temple and he confronts the religious leaders and he puts them in their place and he says, you guys are wicked. And so now the people are like, oh yeah, he's going to restore all things. Then he goes into the temple again later and he throws over all the tables because of the commerce and money that was going on in the worship service. Can I just tell you, 
It's one of the things that makes me so sad today. That, that so much of what we do in Christianity is focused around how to make a buck, how to market, around commerce and money. I guarantee you if Jesus came back, he'd start throwing over tables in so many churches. We're supposed to be people that give the message away for free, that it's a free gift that Jesus gave us, and yet we're constantly looking how to take advantage and leverage instead of looking to to sell all we have to buy the field and then give it away. So Jesus comes in, he's done these things. It looks like, wow, this is the guy we want to worship. And then just a couple of days later, an infuriated Jesus, an infuriated God, an infuriated God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an infuriated Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, dies. He pays the price that you and I deserve to pay. See, that's our God. Our God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And He has provided a way for us. As Joshua said, how will your sins be forgiven and your transgressions Jesus is the final sacrifice that removes the sins and transgressions and he promises us an inheritance someday, not now, but someday that will come if we'll believe in him. See, Romans 5 says it this way. We're getting ready to go into our series in the book of Romans next week. This is what Romans 5 says. When Paul is writing here, the apostle Paul, who was radically changed through a relationship with Jesus and it was reflected in, and how his worship changed, and how everything in his life changed because he worshiped God. This is what he says in Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, our problem is we don't think we're that ungodly. Like the children of Israel, we we won't abandon the Lord. We're good. We're we're great. God obviously is blessing us because things aren't that bad. There's an appointed time that's coming, just like there was an appointed time in Joshua's day for them to go into the promised land. And God told them an appointed time, 40 years of wandering, then they would go in. Just like there is an appointed time, there is an appointed moment for Christ to come back. And he is looking for those who have cried out to him in worship, who have surrendered to him, who are looking for the appointed time, who believe in him. And Christ says he dies not for the righteous, but for the ungodly. Because look at verse 7. For rarely will someone die for a just person. In other words, somebody that thinks they're all that prideful. You don't go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to save that guy. You're looking like, yeah, he deserves what he gets. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. In other words, if you see someone that's like a good person, they're not prideful, but they just try to help out. You think, well, maybe I will lay down my life for them. But look at verse 8. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The one that should be worshipped laid down His life so that we could become worshipers. And then He goes on and says this, much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him.
from wrath. So that curse that Joshua gives in that Old Testament passage, that curse doesn't exist for us. We've been saved from the wrath of God if we are in Christ Jesus, that the wrath of God has been put on his son on our behalf, just like every few times or different times during the year, the children of Israel had to have the wrath put on the animal sacrifices. Jesus is the final sacrifice. Then he says in verse 10 of Romans 5, for if while we were sin enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we, will we be saved by his life? Paul's like, look, we were enemies and God chose to find a way to bring us back to him through the death of his son. And how much more will we be saved that if we believe God forgive us, then we've got to believe that God's going to bring his blessing someday at the appointed time when he returns or we go to heaven. See, this is worship. The object of worship is is Yahweh who saves. We can't save ourselves. We can't work hard enough. He's the Savior. He's the object. And when you understand that, this is the message that you have. You look at helpless people and you say, look, you're helpless. This could be the appointed moment for you. Christ died for you, an ungodly person, and you don't deserve to be died for, but God proved his love for you that he gave his son Joshua was trying in the Old Testament to tell them, look at all God's done to prove his goodness and his love to us. We should respond in worship, in adoration of him. Judges 2.14 says, The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to their enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. See, God tells us in Scripture that if we stand against Him, then then we're not going to experience His promises. We're not going to understand. We're going to have disaster in our life, and we're going to suffer greatly. Listen, this world is full of suffering and disaster, but we're going to suffer in a deeper way. So what inheritance do you want? Well, what do you worship? Because that'll point to what inheritance you're trying to get. And this is, in Judges 2, this is what Joshua said would happen. This is the promise. This is a warning. God didn't like hide it and say, well, now I'm going to get you. And you know, we're seeing these same things today. We're seeing that people are going out, but it's just disaster after disaster for the church. And the reason that Jesus came the first time was because his people were in a disaster. And the the reason he's going to come again is because his people are going to be in a disaster. And we keep thinking we can just make it better and it's all going to be good. And then one day when everybody's saved and everything's working out, Jesus is going to come back. And that is not what our book says. That's not the truth of revelation. That's not the truth of scriptures. Now, am I doom and gloom? No, I don't know when Christ is coming back. I don't know how many more revivals we have before he returns, but I'm not going to build a false promise and then a false worship because I'm believing in things that aren't true, that aren't of the Spirit, but instead I'm believing things that that I want for myself instead of what God says and what He wants. You see, God could have, have stopped all this, but He didn't. You know, what God does is He sends Shaphats, Shaphats, 
which is Judges. That's what this book is named. And the word Shaphat is said 182 times in the Old Testament. And the word Shaphat means to judge or govern with the idea of pronouncing a sentence and either vindicating or punishing the accused or a warning. You see, Shaphat is is the idea that God is coming to to give a warning, to say there's a judgment coming, there's a sentence, and you, you need to be vindicated. And he gives that warning so that we will return, like Joshua said, and turn back to God and say, we're sorry, we do deserve your wrath, but we're asking for your forgiveness and your grace, and we believe that you will give it, and we we surrender our hearts to you. Judges 2, 16, it says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. This is just a sad moment. How easily we forget. And we're taught today that we should do nothing like our fathers did before, that what they did was wrong and they were clueless and they didn't know as much. And it's just so full of pride versus saying, hey, they were sinners, but they were also trying to worship. What can we learn from them? What can we see? And see, God in his book gives the whole picture of both a sinful leader and also a leader that is surrendered to God and the tension that we see in the lives of the people of the scripture, that they quickly turn and then they quickly turn back. And God's saying, don't do this. Like, Walk with me. It's worth it. Verse 18, look at what it says. <clears throat> this seems very dismal, but look at verse 18 in Judges 2. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. God in his mercy kept sending a savior after Savior, pictures of His Son that would come to save them, to deliver them, but then they would just go right back. Then He says, The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. It wasn't like God was standing up in heaven saying, I told you that was going to happen. Too bad for you. You deserve it. Looking for some other kids now. I'm done with you. No, God didn't deliver them fully. He would send prophets and judges and people in to get their attention. And, and, and when he heard their groaning, he, he wanted to take pity on them because they were helpless. Jesus said we are lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We just read where Paul says we're, we're helpless. God says he's looking for those that recognize they're helpless. That's a good thing to recognize, and he's looking to then Meet them where they're at. Verse 19, whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, going after other gods to worship and bow down to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. In other words, they didn't repent. God kept having pity and sending judges and giving them temporary deliverance. We may be delivered from the pandemic we're in, getting a temporary reprieve. We may be delivered from the political mess we're in, but it's only temporary. And probably what we're going to do is just do more evil stuff after it. Because the reality is we need to turn from the evil practices of our hearts and our obstinate pride and turn to God and ask others to do 
the same. You know, we keep trying to raise up judges in our culture, people that will come in and do what we will vote for this person and vote for that person. We need to raise up Yahweh who saves, Jesus, because Jesus is the only one that will confront the real evil practices and obstinate ways of our hearts when Joshua said to give our hearts. Judges 2.20 says, The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel and to see whether they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their fathers had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. You see, our nation made a covenant kind of like this. We said all men were created equal except certain types of men. You see, God gives us tests and he sees if we'll pass, if we'll change, or if we'll just take advantage of things. And see, even though we abolished slavery, we're still dealing with the ramifications. It it wasn't driven out of us. It's still in us to, to show favoritism and to, to not see people as God sees them. You know, we still won't drive out of our hearts the expectations that we have and, and the rights we think we have and surrender those to God. You see, the only way we're going to solve this problem is to cry out to God, to understand that His anger is burning in the world, but we have a message of hope for the world that's burning. You see, we've not been handed over to Yahweh yet, but someday we will. And if we've been his worshipers, we can look forward to that day. And we can already know him and already worship him, waiting for the day when we get to fully do that. And let me just tell you, God promises in the New Testament that there are things that God will not drive out immediately. There are things that he will not drive out until he comes back again in his second coming. And he even says there are things in your own life that you are, you are going to struggle with the rest of your life that he will not drive out because they're designed to test you and to help you walk with him and to see his glory, not your own. In 2 Corinthians 12, we see what Paul says about this. He says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For power is perfected in weakness. Jesus's power on the cross was perfected by making himself weak and taking on human body and dying in our place, the power of the resurrection had to happen through death. He says, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of the Messiah, Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, this could not go more against the grain of our worship today. This could not be more against the grain of what we teach today than what Paul writes here. 
that His grace is sufficient. You don't need anything else but Him and His grace. And the circumstances around you, the torment you may be going through, while it's real and it's hard, and we should pray, like Paul prayed, for people that are, that are in these messes, at the end, we have to trust God. And we have to gladly boast about our weakness. All we do today is boast about our strengths. Paul says we need to boast about how we're weak. How we need his strength. And God has a way of weakening us, of bringing us down so that all we have left is him. And when we get there, that's when we are the most spiritually strong. And that's when we're at the best heart of worship. You see, will you still worship? We worship when things aren't being driven out in the way you think they should be, when people aren't doing what you think they should do. Again, it doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. It doesn't mean we ignore it. It just means Paul didn't ignore the, the thorn. He didn't deal with it. He just said, hey, it's there again. And okay, it's there. It's going to, I got to deal with it. You see, embracing weakness is embracing the church too. We'll look at this in the series on Romans, but when I recognize my weakness, then I look for people who are strong in those areas that can help me and help the body and help God accomplish his mission in the world. You see, that's why looking at our weakness is so essential. It's that's why Joshua was telling the people in these passages, hey, you're not seeing your weakness. You're not recognizing your weakness. You keep boasting about all this strength you have and that you're not going to abandon. But I'm telling you, you're weak and you need to remember you're weak so you keep crying out to God because if you get too prideful and too strong, you're going to stop crying out. And God has a way of humbling us because he has a better inheritance than anything we could ever have on this earth. And really... Our worship is most powerful by faith. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord by faith. Doesn't matter how it turns out. It doesn't matter if it turns out the way I want. By faith, by belief and trust, we will worship the Lord. We're not going to pick up another God. We're not going to try something else out. We're going to live by faith. Joshua 24, he says, as for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh, the great I am who is everything. And in Romans 12, Peter, or Paul says it this way in 12.1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, remember, Joshua reminded them of all the mercies, by the mercies of God, by the good things of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. This is what spiritual worship looks like. Do not be conformed to, the, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, Joshua urged his people, will you worship? Will you surrender your heart, stop worshiping the things of this world, and give your full worship to him? And then will you go out 
and tell everyone that they shouldn't think too highly of themselves, but that they should worship and think very highly of Yahweh who saves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the promised inheritance that we have, Jesus, because of the free gift that you offer because of your death. We can't do anything to earn it. All we can do is admit our weakness, admit our brokenness, and cry out to you for a need to be reconciled, to need to be saved. And you say you will come and you will make your home, your inherited home in our hearts. And when you do that, you tell us you'll never leave us or forsake us. You'll discipline us as a good, caring person would to someone who's hurting themselves and hurting others. So God, your desire in that discipline is to help us to, to worship you, to be more like you, because there is no other. So Father, I pray that if someone doesn't know you and know that your son has provided access to the Father, that Jesus, they, that you laid down your life, you paid the price for the sin that they don't deserve to, be have, to have removed, that, that, that you paid the price for them. And Lord, would they respond in gratitude, not by being so overly excited, which is good to be excited, but would they recognize the truth and then say, I just want you and I'm surrendered to you. And would they connect to a body of people that can help them live for your purposes, to live for your kingdom and to know your love deeply. Father, we thank you. For those of us who are believers, I pray that we would live lives that point people to the ultimate inheritance, not the one here. We wouldn't settle for earthly trinkets when we have the riches of heaven. And Lord, would you help us to see that we've been called to worship you and would we worship with our lives surrendered just like these patches, patches, passages lay out for us. Father, thank you for the series. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the life of Joshua. Thank you for the pictures that you give us that point us to you and your faithfulness for all eternity. We pray all this in your name because you are Yahweh who saves. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. You know, again, if you ever have any questions, you can go to our website, fxchurch.com. And there you can find the resources. There's a place for prayer requests. You can reach out to one of our staff or small group leaders. You can, you can connect with us in any way that you feel like you might need to. And if you prayed today to receive Christ, I pray that you would tell someone. I pray that you would make it known that you're ready to worship the God of the universe. And I pray that you would find a church where you could connect and truly give yourself by the mercies of God as a living sacrifice to that body and strengthen those brothers as we read earlier. We'll be starting our Roman series next week. We're glad you've chosen to join with us. And may God bless you.